Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 276 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. Thank you for tuning in again. Last week's was one of the biggest reactions we've had, and part of that reaction was excitement about this week. So last week was Charlie Brooker, and this week we've got Danny Boyle. So man, after Jed Mercurio the week before, this is a a who's who of British writers and directors. So yeah, I'm really excited to, to have Danny on. It was Great to sit down and chat with him. One of the easiest people to talk to I've ever met. Just instantly, it felt like the most relaxed and casual chat. So um, I'm sure you're going to enjoy this one. Uh, uh, We're talking about his his new film yesterday, which is in cinemas now. Obviously, we talk about other things as well, but that's what we're primarily here to talk about. And I loved it. I did a tweet about it because, I mean, we talk about it in the podcast, but on paper, I was like, I don't know if this idea has got a film in it. It might it might be like a Black Mirror episode, but I don't know if it's a whole film. But it's fantastic. I, honestly, I, I I really enjoyed it. So I won't ramble on too much. As ever, there's patreon.com slash Pip. Um, you can head there. Uh, Poem of the Month will have just come out, or will it just be coming out? It, it will have just come out. So there's Poem of the Month will be up there. Uh, we do the Distraction Pieces Rewind every third Monday of the month. And there's loads of cool stuff and previews and stuff over there. It's a dollar a month. Go and get involved. And obviously, speechdevelopmentrecords.com is where all my stuff and merch is at. Loads of summer stuff. But let's get on with the podcast. This is episode 276 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the legend, Mr. Danny Boyle. Right, I'm here today with with I mean a, a living legend, Danny Boyle. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm living still. I don't know about the other bit. Um, <laughs> I, was, I, I went to say with Sir Danny Boyle, as people oh. do to exaggerate. Yes. and obviously that was yeah, that's a different story. That is a different story. Yes, <laughs> I can't be ter- I can't be doing with any of that. No, though. but how's it all, all going? You're on the, the 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 press run for your latest film, and these things can be exhausting and taxing but how are you holding up with it all yeah good it's it's kind of i don't know what it'll be like we haven't done very much in america yet we go there yeah. next week to start that process there but here there's such a kind of interest in obviously the role of the beatles music in in, yeah. in the film that you get you know that it's and, and obviously people's relationship with that music of different ages you yeah. know different eras because of course it's 50, 60 years old now, so there's Completely. different generations reacting to that. That makes it quite varied, actually. There's yeah. quite a variation of, uh, rather than just, you know, answering all the same things all the same time, which is which is not to be complained about. No. We're very lucky to be here it's to do it. It's part of the job sometimes. Yeah, it um, is. How, how have you found that? Or, or how, when you were making it, did you find that? The kind of, the pressure of having this gem to, to, to work with of the Beatles' back catalogue, and then being an act that... I mean, we talk about super fans and fandom. Fandom pretty much started with the Beatles. That's, that's, that, that's fanatic kind of came from when the Beatles launched. So Very much so. I mean, yeah. the Americans would disagree. Yep. They would obviously quote Elvis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, I think you're right. I think the significant moment is, and we try and just indicate it at the end, one of the very last images of the film is a, is a freeze frame of the four girls screaming, the Beatlemania yeah. moment. But those girls knew something 
in a way that's never really, they've never been given the credit for because they screened these guys to centre stage. Yeah. Uh, where the establishment were horrified yeah. and, and took that response of calling them sexual hysterics, you know, and being alarmed. And the boys, the Fab Four, sensed that power. They were suddenly the centre of the world briefly, yeah. which they probably, in another iteration, they probably would have just fizzled out as a boy band or whatever, but they used their power to write and to write really imaginatively. Yeah. And to start expanding, yeah. and to start using pop culture as a really as a real philosophy that dictated um, both what they wrote and also what society would become. Because yeah. it, when you look back historically now, it's quite a short time after the war and the austerity of the war, and it's mm. where our society picked itself up and said, "No, we're not doing that anymore. We're not going to serve in your army. Yeah. We're not going to do the jobs you tell us to do." What we're going to do is we're going to do this. This is about pleasure and love and self-expression. And they created an economy as well yeah. as that. So they couldn't just be dismissed as um, kind of hippies. They, there was an economy begin, beginning to be built around them. They yeah, began completely. to be worth something. and They became and, undeniable. That's kind of the, the beauty of it. You can, you, the, the older generation could write them off for a certain amount of time and then they became undeniable. And, and they became clearly what, what we were going to have to dedicate our lives to yeah. more because as, as conventional jobs began to be reorganised through mechanisation and industry began to collapse, what are we going to do instead? Service economy, are we? Or a cultural economy, which is sort mm. of one of the things that we've become. Yeah. And um, I think that's extraordinary to trace it back to those girls screaming because they were given no value at all. And in yeah. fact, they were thought of as being the reason that the band no longer played live. But actually what they did is force the boys into the spotlight of all society, not just of pop music. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating era to look back on because you can, as I said, you can kind of throw it away frivolously with the the screaming and, 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 and the over over a reaction. But as an era compared to our era, it's absolutely fascinating because it was at a time when there was the Industrial Revolution kind of was channeling on and changing a lot. Yet at that point, there was striving for a four-day week and things like that and trying to change our lives to go from our job is to be productive and to be hardworking and to go over to there's a balance. There should be culture as part of our existence. Yeah. And I think we're at a place now where people have forgotten that a little bit. There's such a fear of robots taking our jobs and stuff like that. And again, the idea of that we should be working every hour of the day, and I'm guilty of it at times. You kind of think if I'm not working, yeah. I'm, I should be feeling guilty. Yeah, what am I doing? Yeah. Surely that was an era to, to, to hold up because the world d- didn't fall apart, but people did embrace culture more and satisfaction and leisure more leisure has become a dirty word in many ways so it's a fascinating one to kind of yeah almost look at but in the film you're looking at that sensation but in the current time so when the beatles obviously did all that <laughs> it was a completely different time it, it never happened before now we have an overnight success around once a year and, <laughs> and it's kind of so it's interesting to to, to juxtapose though yeah and tell the story in this in this era. It's very interesting that the Beatles, obviously, when there's so many groups at the moment being kind of like looked at through biopics, yeah. the, the film that they give the go-ahead to is not a biopic. It's a kind of, in fact, quite the reverse of that. It's yeah. actually a film that imagines them being erased from history. Yeah. Yeah. And that's typical of their sense of humour, I think. Yeah. It's, like, it's a very 
It's a very Monty Python type of sense of humour, which is another thing that exploded out of that pop cultural moment. Yeah. Monty Python came yeah. out of it. And it's, it's amazing that they would like their music to be, for the moment anyway, just looked at through this prism yeah. of what would it be if they weren't around, you know, yeah. what would happen. And yeah. obviously we use it as the focus for a light comedy. But it's also, towards the end of the film, you see a different timeline exists as well that actually does affect things in a strange way. And I suppose that's just a very gentle hint that so much could have been so different, you know, yeah. in a way, yeah. without how, them. How was it approaching it as a project at the start? Because we've touched upon it there, and the, the basis of the film loosely is that um, a guy bangs his head and he, when he comes out of a coma, effectively, the Beatles never existed. He's the only one that remembers them. And on paper... That feels like an idea that is probably great for a discussion in the pub, but might feel stretched over a film. And I've seen <laughs> the film now, and it isn't at all. It's yeah. so beautifully. I think w w one of the things that is key there is that it's not necessarily the whole point of the movie. The The story of the movie is a romantic comedy, is the friendships in there. Um, so how was that, to, to look at it and go, is this, is this a full film? Is this this weird idea? How was it approaching it initially? Yeah. It was felt like a double helix of this love letter to the music, yeah. obviously, th through this kind of weird prism of it disappearing and being reborn through this guy. But the other part of the helix was a love letter, curiously, from her, from Ellie, yeah. the character played by Lily James, to Jack. And he realises slowly, as the Beatles thing takes him to a, popularity of incredible proportions to the top of the kind of popular world, yeah. he realises his real destination is somewhere else, which is with her, yeah. really. And that their role in life is actually to be teachers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, to yeah. be Kanye West. Yeah, or, you yeah. know, their role is to be teachers. And I'm a big fan of teachers. I believe they are the secret agent that, keeps that binds all societies together yeah. and that whatever our leaders whatever they're amounting to and there's some terrible things especially at present that doesn't matter because actually if teachers keep going and keep passing on that phrase the soul of the nation gets passed down through the teachers yeah then we'll be okay yeah and they become teachers at the end and the great celebration is at the end is that that's a, and that's a good thing yeah and i love that because these four guys began it's very ordinary guys coming out of a very ordinary town. And there's something about the... I mean, they weren't destined to stay like that for very long, but this, the origins are, are, are really important. You know, origin stories are very important. And yeah. That's why we try and set it by the seaside and, um, and, and a working port and all that kind of stuff, because that's what they came out of, Liverpool. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's, it, it's beautiful because, again, at the time of the Beatles, their goal was to be the Beatles, to make the music that they made. Fame wasn't necessarily a, a viable option of, of musicians at that point. Generally, the most famous yeah. musicians were dead. So it wasn't necessarily this, this fame option. Whereas in the society we're in now, fame can be the goal above all else. And then you'll look at, oh, how, oh, how do I get there? Rather than, I want to be an amazing musician. Yes. If that brings fame, cool, or an amazing the director or actor. If fame comes from that, that's a lovely byproduct. But we've kind of moved the route out the way and said the goal is fame now. So was that an important thing with with the way you structured the story to kind of show that, as you say, there's things like being 
I, I mean, I'm not necessarily against X Factor and things like that, but being a good singer isn't the only thing that should be celebrated. <laughs> being a good teacher, being a good butcher. If you're a really good yeah. butcher, that's something that should be celebrated. Yeah. If you're good at any uh, job or vocation, yeah. then that's got to be the aim, right? It is, but of course he's got this ir- irony. There's this irony because he's. they complain about that. I mean, his manager, Kate McK- played by Kate McQuinnan, the kind of devilish LA Amazingly manager. Amazingly as well. Um, she complains about him being not very attractive, and yeah. is this the best? She keeps saying, "Is this the best you can look?" And <laughs> yeah. you're kind of slim, but somehow round at the same time. Yeah. Some classic lines she does. Yeah. Um, so he's not much to look at, but he's extraordinary. And but again, it's obviously it's not him. Yeah. It's the inherited songs, and yeah. then the, or, or the stolen songs, or the rebirthed songs, or whatever you call them, and. Um, he tries to tell people and they won't listen. And yeah. eventually he has to declare, obviously, in a key scene. Yeah. He has to declare in as public a forum as he can possibly imagine. Yeah. That his real destination is not fame and fortune and all that L.A. and this Kate McKinnon character can offer him, but something that his previous manager, the ever-loyal Ellie, can offer him instead, which yeah. is a path, his path to true happiness. And the Beatles would approve of that. Yeah. Because your happiness was... The path, really, Absolutely not the key, not the rest of it. Yeah. And it, it's it's fascinating. And I mean, I can s- uh, s- say this because I've known him for years. But you s- talk about the 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 character there being not much to look at, but has this huge talent and fame. Uh-huh. And Ed Sheeran plays a key role in this, who is the prime of that. And I remember because me and Ed came up on the music scene. So before I was, I do act, I'm an actor now. But before that, I was in, in <coughs> music for years. And Ed, for years, would have labels kind of say, you should write for other people. You should, because yeah, 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 yeah. you don't look. Yeah, and his, his first music video, it's all hands and stuff like that, because I didn't particularly want to put him in it. And then he's now Ed Sheeran. So, it's, again, it's kind of undeniable. But how was that to bring Ed in? And he plays himself, but he's not afraid to poke fun at himself. And there's, yeah, it's a wonderful a juxtaposition there. Yeah, he's got a very good sense of humour. Yeah. And the self-deprecating thing you get with him is not an act. Yeah. I think that's genuinely in there. Yeah. You know, and he, we found it very, it was very easy to work with him once he declared for us. Because obviously he's very, very busy. Yeah. And I'm like, listen, you've got to come to rehearsal. If you want to be a better actor, and this is quite a big part now. This isn't just like a kind of drop in and, yeah. and although you're playing yourself, don't be tempted to think that, I'm a performer, I'm playing myself. It's yeah. what's, to, what's, I mean, you don't want anything else. You just, you don't want me. I said, no, you've got to pick up rehearsal because otherwise you you don't sit in the rhythm of the other actors. And that's why celebrity drop-ins always feel yeah. sometimes a little, oh, because they don't pick up the rhythm of the actors, yeah. of the, the other people they're in the scene with. So, of course, when they, you expose them to that rhythm, because he's a musician, he picks it up straight away. Of course. He's kind of got it. He gets it very, very quickly. So he came to rehearsals and was very funny because he knew he knew that we'd asked Chris Martin first. Right, yeah. So he never let us forget that, <laughs> that he was always he second or even third choice, he said, because he, he claimed he heard a rumour that we'd approached Harry Styles when Chris Martin turned us down and then we'd approached Ed Sheeran, but that's not true. We approached Ed <laughs> straight after Chris. And he yeah. was very funny about that and... Um, so he picked up, he, he got a lot of encouragement. I wonder whether it's because, because he's a one-man band, 
especially on a, that he was at the time in the in the middle of a huge tour where he's just fronting yeah. this extraordinary a stadium the, tour with just him as just yeah. at the tip of the diamond and just and I wonder whether putting him in a bunch of actors was really nice for him. Yeah, that he's in a communal, creative atmosphere where it's not just about him. It's partly him, obviously, but yeah. it's not just about him. And I think I wonder whether that was re- really nice for him. He was certainly he benefited from that. I think as a performer, anyway, and certainly I think he mesh benefited from Ed telling him how good he was. Great, because there was a key moment where we were just rehearsing a scene, and I said, "Oh, go on." We were rehearsing the scene and I said, play, you might as well play him, Ash, play Long and Winding Road. And there was a slight pause because obviously he realised he was performing it in front of Ed Sheeran in the room like there. (laughs) And he played it and Ed was very complimentary. Not just in a polite way, I think he was genuinely thought, yeah, that guy's got soul. There's a soul in there in the the way he performs. It's fascinating because it's great to see as well because Ed got a lot of stick in... Game of Thrones, because yeah. people felt his cameo stood out. But weirdly, I helped him on his first ever day on any set because I was doing a show called The Bastard Executioner, which was an FX thing, which he had a role in. And the night before, he messaged me saying, it's my first day tomorrow, are you yeah. about? So I came down and met him. And he had that. He turned up on the first day expecting for it to be a breeze because everything else has been that easy. And it wasn't. He had a really rough first day, and it was a similar thing. The, 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 the next block of filming he had... He was then there for an extended amount of time, and he got great. He got in with everyone. He got yeah. into that rhythm. But that first thing was a jarring one for him. And at one point, he was feeling he wasn't interested in that acting world. And it's why I saw uh, when I saw that he was going to be in this, I thought it felt perfect because it's that perfect symbiosis. He's, he's playing himself, but he also knows that you, he now knows you can't he just knows. turn up and do it. You've got to. It's 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 like anything. You've got to learn it and work hard at it and yeah. develop it. Yeah, because because on the, any kind of movie on the day, it's all about do it, yeah, quickly. Yeah, it's not about <laughs> yeah. you; it's about it's everyone like else. There's, there's so many people. It's just like let's get it done quickly, and we'll sort it out in the editing. Yeah. And of course, you don't sort it out in the editing. Yeah. You might be able to if you're lucky, but mm, you want to get the quality on the day. Yeah, and he was lovely on the day. You know, his on, his entourage, which is very small. Um. Very, very small. We've just been we've just been with Madonna on the Graham Norton show, yeah. and it's certainly small compared to her entourage. <laughs> and, and they're mates from a way back. Yeah. And, and so we put them in the film as well, so that he could, you know, they have could they could have a yeah. bit of in, in, uh, fun about it as well. So it was good. Yeah. It's perfect. How how do you go about setting your atmospheres on set? Because again, one of the things that really struck me with this was. Obviously, Himesh and Lily, but everyone, all of their friends, all felt like real friends. It made me think of things like Train Spotting, which was a convincing group of friends. Yeah. It wasn't this. Here's our characters. We're all going to try and outshine yeah. each other. Even I think Rocky was such a standout character. Had so many standout moments, but he didn't feel like he was trying to get in anyone's way or yeah. steal any scenes. It yeah. felt like a real g- group of friends. So is that key? Is that something in getting it right on set, in getting everyone f- fairly relaxed in that way? Well, it's kind of it's casting first. Yeah. You've got to get you've got to get the right people, and the casting directors are pivotal in that, bringing in the right people. And then when you make your decisions and you've got the script, and obviously it's lovely. Richard is very good at writing uh, that that kind of dialogue of friends. Yeah. He loves that's his one of it, one of his kind of energy sources. I think as a writer, is the conviviality of friends. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And then it's just the atmosphere you set in rehearsals. Again, it's rehearsals. It's, yeah. it's making sure 
the only advice I'd ever give to anybody starting off is don't let them steal all your rehearsal time because they will. Right. If you only ask for a week, you'll lose it. Yeah. Because it'll get swamped in all these other things that you can't do without. Therefore, yeah. you have to give in. They have to go off for a costume fitting somewhere. And I was going to say, it, beca- it, it can become a trade-off, right? So we need an extra day of filming here or we need an extra day of yeah. fitting here. And yeah, it's like, well, all that kind of stuff. That's so, always the bit that gets yeah. pushed aside. So ask for two weeks yeah. if you can. And knowing you'll only get one, but that one will be worth an extra week's filming. Because yeah. the quality, the confidence you build in actors about they know they're all in the same world. It's them kind of coding themselves to realise what sort of world they're in. They just they do it, they don't even know they're doing it. They're going, oh, he's in this and he's in that. And, the, yeah. and they start to work yeah. with each other and they kind of find their level in there. Yeah. And then you get to shooting and they kind of have a surge of, you know, the performance day stuff, which gives it a bit extra. That's the kind of way we do it, really. Yeah. It's respectful. And I think Ed liked that as well. You know, there's no screaming or shouting at people because he's not like that. You know, he's kind of like you can get these things done nicely and respectfully for everyone involved. Yeah. I mean, you touched upon casting there. That must have been a hell of a, a, a process with this one in particular because you've got to find a lead who not only is a good performer, singer, but also can do the, the, the acting side of it. Yeah. And I'd imagine you can find either side of that to a decent extent, but finding that that perfect combination well, must have been tough. It's This this one was... We'd, we'd, started, we'd started auditioning and, well, we'd done quite a lot of auditioning. We'd been through really the main candidates as yeah. because it, it's self-selecting to a degree because they had to be able to come in and perform yes they could it wasn't like horse riding where they say yeah i can ride a horse yeah to actually sit, stand there and ride the horse play play the songs play two songs in front of us so that limits it and we'd been through quite a lot of people and it wasn't really it was my only work moment of doubt i think because these songs they were like they were good some of them yeah. but they felt a bit I don't think you're going to be able to tolerate listening to 17 of these from yeah. this one voice. Yeah. That's what I felt. I thought I worried about that. I thought, Particularly an acoustic singer-songwriter, it is something that you need to add something there, otherwise it is a load of songs. Because, again, particularly at the start, he's not got these, but the, the band and all that coming. So you need to have that purity, I guess. Yeah. And then he walked in and yeah. he played and he had that purity. He Brilliant. just... I, and I, I was, by that time, I'd heard Yesterday so many times, and yet with him, it was like, it was his song. And you go, well, I know it's not his song, it's Paul McCartney's song, but he sang it, and, and, I, and it made me realise two things. I thought, we've got to cast him, because he, he then did USSR, this ebullient version of USSR, and, which was his own, respectful to the original, yeah. but his own. Yeah. And I thought, we've got to cast him. And the other thing I've got to do is that when we've got through that with the studio, because they will always want somebody who's got a bigger profile, if they can of get course, it, yeah. then I've got to protect him from the mechanics of sound recording that goes on on film sets. Right. Which is every sound engineer will tell you, no, you've got to record it first. We've right. got to record it and he's got to play back and you do it to play back. And I'm like, no, we're not going to do that. It's just like, it'll kill it. You wouldn't record dialogue like that. Why would you do songs like that? And these songs are not just songs. These are dialogue. These are the essence of his moral dilemma, his, yeah. his versions it's, of the... It's not a montage moment. It's, no. It's, it's, it's like, in that moment. It's part so of, yeah. 
we recorded all everything that you hear of Himesh and his his voice and his instruments is live, is recorded live. So when he gets a group later, we obviously built up the sound behind him, technically, but yeah. every single song you hear, it's him live. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's amazing. So, so how was it for the... The bigger scenes then, because obviously the beach scene was, was, at the time, I think the biggest collection of extras. Yes, it was, There was yeah. some people from my town in it. In, yeah. Weirdly, at the Wembley one, one of the, the ukulele girls yeah. is a local mate of mine, a Chili Ray. And they, so I'd, I'd been hearing about all of this stuff going on yeah. for a while, but how was that to do a scene that big with that many extras? He was live again. He, a lot he, of, wow. he plays help live. He's yeah. live. Him and his guitar are live. Yeah. And the backing group are were pre-recorded, yeah. but he and his guitar are live. Yeah. And he's got a click in to keep him on time with, yeah. the, with the background. Yeah, perfect. But, um, but he's live each time. And I just thought that's the personality of the film, is Himesh yeah. actually singing live, yeah. performing live at every occasion. So, And the guy who recorded it, Simon Hayes, is a genius. And once you've got through the argument, which he'll always have with you, about technically how the sound will be better if you pre-record it, once you've got over that, he's brilliant then in finding yeah. a way to record and give you as many options as possible within that recording, you know, because you do, you do lots of versions of it, but basically what you're committing to is the one take yeah. because the tempo is going to vary and, you know, yeah. so in most of them. So you're only going to be able to use one take. How, how are you in that situation? Because there, there's, there's pressure on Himesh. There. Is it, the first time I, had, I was on... A film set. I was on a, a Guy Ritchie thing, and we we're up a mountain top with hundred or so extras, a, heli- a helicopter shot, all sorts of stuff. And he was the most relaxed person I've ever seen. Just like, <laughs> yeah, let's change that. Let's maybe play with the dialogue there. So you're, you know, similarly or more experienced. So I'd, I'd, I'd imagine how how are those moments for you? Is the pressure on Himesh? Are you feeling relaxed as the director to go? All right, we've got a few thousand extras. We've got probably cranes, drone shots, everything else. Well, you've got a day's work, isn't it? Yeah, you've got the office. (laughs) You've got to, you've got to kind of, there's so much of it is other people. Yeah. You know, and it's down to, it's a bit like rehearsal for the actors. It's down to how much time and effort you've put into learning about those other people and respecting them. Yeah. And actually, so, and they will then deliver for you on the day. Yeah. So, so yes, it's quite st- stress-free because you've kind of, like, set it up right. You know they're all great. Yeah, right? you know they're good people. Yeah. And your job is to kind of look for... Uh, you, you know there'll be a base level that's excellent. Yeah. And then it's your job, really, to try and find something even better than that yeah. uh, within it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, in essence, the, the job's not done, but everybody's prepared. Yeah. And they know and they feel like they belong and they know what they're doing and all that kind of stuff. So it's just, it's prep really a lot of it, you know, because otherwise it can just get crazy. There's something lovely about making it up on the day and it it is always best to do that, but you've always got to have a, you've always got to have a backbone that you've got absolutely perfected about then with the way you're going to approach it. Because then you can look for that extra bit of magic on top of it, which is the, the, the freshness on the day, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned the having to to fight for your lead, to, to, to keep the guy that you felt was right for it. Is that something that's important to you? Because I, I think there's 
a big thing. A lot of my favourite films or TV shows, and a lot of the most successful films and TV shows, have people that you aren't that f- familiar with. I think the reason Game of Thrones people connected so much is no one knew any of them. And you've kind of got a history of that with Killian in, in 28 yes, Days yeah. Later going yeah. on to be Killian, yeah. all the train spotting lads. Yeah. So did that give you a kind of confidence to fight for the right person rather than the biggest person? Yes, and it's particularly in this one, it was particularly straightforward because having met him and knew how exceptional he was, yeah. the other part of it, which was that ideally it would be somebody unknown because obviously he, the trajectory that he goes on is so enormous, you want that distance to be as great as yeah. possible. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a big star playing it already, him becoming a big star has less It's inevitable. Time. You're waiting yeah. for it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just you know it's going to arrive. Yeah. So... Um, so it's easy when you put those two things together because you go, it's crazy to do this. It would be a crime not to cast him. He's so superior. It wasn't even like it was a choice between him and someone who was even reasonably close. He was yeah. far and away, the way out on his own as the guy. And, and what's interesting, and I've only really begun to think this or work through what, what it was that he connected him to the songs because people go, well, his ethnic background, how, how does he connect with us? All that kind of stuff. It's not so much that. It's actually to do with the, in the original songs, no matter, and they are essentially joyful. The Beatles music is essentially, even the troubling songs in a way have a tenderness that's joyful in them. There's always a melancholy. Even, yeah. in, the, even in the riotous songs, there's a melancholy in there. It's very English. Yeah, it's very like the poets, like Wordsworth. Coleridge there's a kind of haunting kind of sense of something's been lost yeah and he has that he has an essentially melancholy nature he's very very funny as a person the wit is there but he has this melancholy and I think it's that that makes him sing a Paul McCartney song like yesterday yeah hauntingly whereas all the other guys came in played it perfectly and you just felt nothing yeah yeah but with him, you just go, holy fuck. And you can't kind of work out what it is because you think, well, it's not like he's got a big story of saying when he was a child, the Beatles were this, were that. It's not that. It's something yeah. else that connects him with the songwriters, I think, and the way they wrote. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. And again, he's, I was literally, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was with my, my mum and dad yesterday for Father's Day and I was mentioning yeah. I'm coming in doing this and my mum was saying, and I can't believe it's, it's the lad off EastEnders. And I, that was the first time I'd realised it. I'm not yeah. particularly an EastEnders no, watcher, so when I kind of heard yeah. that, I thought, oh, I don't know who he is. And then she showed me a picture. I was like, I remember that kid from EastEnders <laughs> from, from way back. So it's a beautiful thing there that he's got these... Yeah. He's been in something that millions of people have seen. He's a hugely well-known... But there is that weird world of soap that it is its own world. Yeah, it is its own world. So yeah, it, does it doesn't feel like it's his else. breakout debut role when... No, it was in one of the biggest shows. It's just yeah, it's watched so by separate. more people than yeah. I'll ever watch this movie. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's mad, just right? incredible. Yeah. How, how, where, if if at all, where does representation come in your thinking along casting and all these kind of things? It, it, it came to mind because a Slumdog Millionaire was a massive deal as one of the first huge in, in the West, at least, films yeah. with a, a largely Asian cast. Yeah, and this is you know a huge a, a West. It's the Beatles and there's an Asian lead. Um, does that come in, into your mind that you're wanting to, to push for that or is it just what happens to fit the story? It's, it's, you, 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 you have a political consciousness which has to be present only in your subconscious. Yeah. 
you can't be, you can't, but you shouldn't be making films for reasons like that. Yeah. But you, it is part of you, so it is in your own conscious. Having said that, in this case, I know it was because he was just so much better than yeah. anyone yeah. else. It was just like unbelievable. Yeah. And um, so you don't even, on, other than your subconscious, you don't even think about it. And I mean, obviously I was aware with it when I was, presenting him as like, this is the guy we, we've got to have. I was aware that people would have reservations because yeah. he dip, didn't represent the mainstream. Yeah. And, you know, then, I mean, I, I didn't know this at the time, but I remember finding out that they wouldn't play in front of the, the, the original lads when they were lads, yeah. not in their later quite sophisticated iteration, yeah. when they were just boys, a boy band, they wouldn't play a segregated crowd. Amazing. Now, when in Oklahoma, yeah. Now, when they did that, that must have been a big deal. No, yeah. we're not playing. Yeah, we'll give you the money back. We're not playing in front of a segregated crowd. Yeah, and they just kids put, but they're putting their foot down on a principle. You go fucking fair play, yeah. mate. I love that. And they desegregated the crowd. That's amazing. And Absolutely amazing. They did it because there would be a riot otherwise yeah. if they didn't. Yeah. Because if the Beals didn't appear, because it was at that time when they were the boy band. Yeah. And they were kind of like... So they um, had that power yeah, to, yeah. to make that stand. I think it was Oklahoma, Oklahoma, I think, yeah. So you, having been in the industry a fair old while now, do you feel it would have been a harder sell, say, 10 years ago? I mean, you had to fight as it was because it wasn't a known name. But as you said, because it's not a representation of the, of, of, of the, the, the mass or the majority, I guess, do you think yeah. it would have been a harder sell? 10 years ago because I think there is a lot of there's been some amazing steps made in recent years yes in representation and it's given us so many more fresh outlooks and new stories um yes and so, also yeah. and also it deepens the talent pool that yeah. you're, you're you're drawing from 100% that's what's wonderful about it yeah yeah and you so you have I don't know about 10 years ago it's 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 difficult to say isn't it what would have mm. what would have what would have happened 10 years ago but um no, it's just it's the talent pool is much richer because of it, and and you've got to be open to that really. That's all, um, and not and not close down things really. You look for the the right person. He can be from anywhere, you know. Yeah. Anyway, that's what you. That's what. Yeah. You, that's what you look. You know, you're you're just looking for the right person, really. Yeah, I mean, so we spoke about how when the Beatles did this, it wasn't something that anyone could expect or aim for. And it's a weird one that we're at this era where there's so many kind of films where one of the main characters is the soundtrack. There, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. There's this, there is the Elton John film, yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody, there's a Springsteen one that's coming, that's coming as well. Um, the last time I remember that being a thing, it wasn't a thing before that, was Trainspotting. And were you kind of aware at the time how important the soundtrack, how Lust for Life was going to be such an iconic thing born slippy all of these things were so intrinsic to people connecting to that film i'd yeah. listen to born slippy on my headphones and feel in a different place than if i hadn't if it hadn't been yeah. part of that film so how yeah. was it in train spotting days of putting the soundtrack together and kind of knowing whether or not it's um it was going to be, be such a key part you don't really think about that because you're much more involved in, so the bigger picture that you're describing yeah it's almost like a historical perspective. Yeah. You're going, whoa, that was important there. And, and the and, artwork as well, the posters. You know, but that. you don't really think like that. You think in a minutiae. You think what's good for this scene, 
I remember, I remember one of the big the effects that the book had upon me, Irving's book, was the way that you could trace. So he didn't declare a chronology in the way that he set out the stories, because there are a series of short stories, really, vignettes. Yeah. But actually, you could trace the age of the stories to do with the music that was mentioned yeah. in the scene. And you kind of hear, you'd just be background references to things, and you think, well, that's obviously then, and that couldn't be then, because that would... So it was... Oh, so it's that. the minutiae of things that drive you to create the menu of sounds there's going to be and then it's what works and what doesn't work it's also about what you discover and don't discover some of those are accidents yeah i'd loved the dub no bass with my head album but i never thought of about approaching underworld i found born slippy in hmv wow. as a kind of not a remaindered dvd um, cd single but as clearly that had been released a few months before and hadn't really worked and yeah. there's one left of it and he had a picture of a lawnmower on the front and I thought, that's weird, I've heard of that. That's the same band. Yeah. Took it home, the second version of it. As it came on, I thought, that'll be the end of the film. Yeah. Right there. Like that. And I, I get, that. I, you know, and I took it into the editor and he began it somewhere slightly different to what I thought, which yeah. is, again, you know, collaboration. So it comes up so many different minutiae things, yeah. really, rather than a, the big picture. The big picture emerges afterwards, depending on how everybody grabs it and places it and what it means to them, I think. Yeah, I love that. So so uh, sticking on the train spot in kind of journey, when that film was made, again, all the actors are kind of unknown. The songs aren't that big and then blew up to be big. Then you come round all these years later to doing T2, a train spot in two, you've suddenly got, number one, the actors are all very well known now. <laughs> yeah, They're all yeah. doing very well. But number two, it's bizarre how well we all feel like we know the characters considering we only spent a couple of hours yeah. with them. But one of the things that I loved when, because at the time that came out, I had a radio show on XFM. I was still touring and doing music. And one of the people I'd given their first, I think, radio interview to was Young Fathers. Wow. So when I heard that Young Fathers were being used so wonderfully and and and, and importantly in the, in the soundtrack as a Scottish band, but a Scottish band that sound like no other in the world. That you've ever heard before. And still, you know, that had their underground success, but weren't really that that well known. So was that important to you? Because again, you didn't know it at the time, but the soundtrack came key to Trainspot in 1. So Trainspot in 2, I'd imagine there might have been some pressures to go, well, well, well we need what's going to be the next A Lust for Life scene and so on and yeah, so forth. So yeah. how was that to go, right, no, or how did you f hear the Young Fathers and go, this is this is the sound of, of of this film. I think I heard the Young Fathers because I noticed they won, or they were up for the Mercury. They, yeah, they won the Mercury. They, were, they won yeah, it, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, and yeah. I think I thought, wow, I should listen to them. And I just listened to it and loved their work and still do. And that last album, Coco Sugar, yeah. is a tough album to listen to as an entity. Yeah. But if you break it up and listen to it in a kind of playlist of other things, it's... Some of the songs are fantastic. Yeah. They are a really great group. And I, I, I really remember the, the year they won the Mercury because me and a friend of mine, Kate Tempest, had seen them live at the same time and we didn't know we were both at that gig. They were supporting someone else and we, we went outside in the interval, bumped into each other and got incredibly excited. So that year, Kate was nominated and Young Fathers and won and we were like, 
I knew there couldn't have been a better person to wow. lose to because we were both had yeah. that pure excitement about their music. Yeah. So I knew that Kate would be sitting again celebrating as much as anyone. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, they were like, um, then we met them and they were like, I invited them to the set. I said, come and round and have a look. Did they, they have any interest at all? Well, they come round. They're kind of like, you think, that, surely they must be excited on some level. Yeah. <laughs> they don't show it, though. Yeah. And it feels like, but then they, <laughs> they were beautiful because they sent us a song. They You're sent right. us this God Only Knows. Yeah. Um, only God Knows. And um, not God Only Knows. God yeah. Only God Knows, which is a beautiful song that they wrote. And, um, yeah, so we were very lucky to, to have that from them and... Yeah, to start building the soundtrack in the way that was organic rather than it feeling like we were looking for hits. You know, it felt like the great thing you could do is make it for people here and make it about something that felt like it had some kind of organic relevance rather than it being a kind of hits factory, you know, trying to repeat. Because we weren't trying to create hits when we made the first one, so we shouldn't do when we make the second one either. You know? Yeah, that's perfect to have that to, to rely on. How, how, as we as we we start to, to round things up, how was it to go to cross that that line of reapproaching everyone for, for train spotting too? Because uh, Johnny Lee Miller's a mate, and he's been on the podcast, and he kind of said it seemed to come out of nowhere, and there'd been kind of talk back and forth for years, but nothing serious. So, how was it to to push the button on that and go? Are you guys up for it? Well, we it was to do. With, Are any of you talking? Is it, was, it was to do with it was to do with John's script, and we'd worked on it for a while because it, it it originally didn't exist, and then yeah. we kept being asked about it by journalists at events like this. Yeah, you know, and and eventually it starts to have a life of its own. I started to talk to John about you know we should have a, and we met and started mulling over things, and then he wrote a bit, and it wasn't very good, and so we decided not to. And then he just began to write, and it was kind of its moment arrived, really. Yeah. So it is a result of a bit of external pressure, which yeah. is people saying, whoa. It, it also uh, it came out of the fact that, obviously, they were 20 years older, and that felt like, like you were just saying, they were still alive as characters. Yeah. Even though the film was 20 years ago, you still felt that people were talking about Begbie yeah. like they knew him. Yeah. You know? And you go, he's a fictional character, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Bobby that dropped, you met Bobby dropped him. Yeah, yeah. We, Bobby dropped him in 1996. Yeah, yeah. And you go, but no, people talk about him like he, they'd just seen him next door, yeah. you know, or something like that. And that was part of its growth, is through that, undoubtedly. Yeah. Which, on a commercial level, people say that's the appetite, you know, that there's the appetite is there for them. But it was slightly more than that, really. It was more like inevitable, really, that we were going to go back to them. And um, we just sent them all the script. Yeah. And I tried to deal with them. I was very conscious to deal with them as equal partners. Yeah. Because it's uh, you could easily make them feel like they were in somebody else's film, whereas what John had done in the writing is it felt like they all had a film in it. 100%, yeah. You know, the four of them. And um, so that was lovely. And I think that made it... I think that was a big factor when we sent it all to them because they did feel like they had a film within it. They weren't just turning up yeah. so that the glories of Begbie could be relived or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, were yeah. turning up because they, they, had, they had a, a character yeah. arc, you know. And Johnny's was interesting because his was the most tricky in terms... His is the most... His is the least dynamic and actually least attractive, most human yeah. of all. He's an amazing actor. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what he's going to do next once that show's finished, the, yeah. the one he's been in, you yeah, know, yeah. attached to for so long. 
but um, he, yeah, he's a very special actor. Really. So, so I'll round things up with a, a what's ahead. I mean, there was a project that you were working on that that didn't work out. So, so what's the plan? Kind of. Go, go what's the forward? plan? Well, we have got a plan. Uh, there is a there is something that we're trying to get together, but it's very tricky because it it depends on life rights of two people who still right. are alive. Yeah, they're not old even, but. Um, and it's trying to get – I can't announce what it is because that will put the price up and we can't kind of get an agreement anyway on yeah. what it is at the moment. So we're just working on that at the moment. Yeah, so you've got it all in mind. Watch this space. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your Thanks, time. Bit. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, very nice. That was good. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. I told you he was easy to talk to. Obviously, man, I could have talked to Danny for hours, but these things are always tight on time. So I know that's a slightly shorter one than usual this week. But, I mean, sometimes it's nice to get under the hour mark. You don't have to hear me say, now we're approaching the hour mark. In general, I'm going to try and trim things down now. On all the new sponsorees, I'm going to try and get them a bit short it's tough because i only take on sponsors that i'm a fan of i i got into podcasting off the back of joe rogan and i like that he talks honestly and excitedly about his sponsors rather than just going this week we are brought to you by this is available so i kind of try and do the same thing but i can also understand that some people aren't into that and particularly as podcasting is evolving there's a lot of variations of where adverts are placed. Like another example is I place all my adverts at the beginning because I like that. I like to get them out of the way um, and then have the conversation uninterrupted. I know a lot of podcasts go a different route and have, you know, one at the beginning, a one halfway through, another one a bit further, and it breaks it up. And some people prefer that, but I kind of I like to try and yeah, I like to have them all at. Oh, or before the actual, the guest is on. I don't like to interrupt the guest, which, again, I'm sure some people would prefer that kind of breakup. But I, again, I, I've come up on that one where sometimes I listen to all of Joe's sponsors. Sometimes I, I might skip straight to the interview. Um, and that's a choice and an option. I hope you listen to all of my sponsors because they're good. But um, yeah, anyway that's what was i going on about oh i'm shortening things yeah so i'm not that mad about you know yeah it's only annoying when you know you could have talked to someone a lot more for a lot longer and danny is a great speaker um and it was exciting to have a chat with him um yeah i'm going to end it there i'll be back next week let me have a look at who my guest is next week i've not even looked it's always in your elms i think it's in your elms that's a really good episode it is, it's Inuit Elms. You're going to love this. I've known Inuit for years and we had a conversation and 90% of what we talked about, we've n- never talked about in the past. So it was a f- fascinating one f- for me, truly. So um, yes, check that out next week um, and I'll, I'll, I'll see you all then. Ta-ta.